Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to this, the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. It's another Thursday podcast. We are getting close to 100 podcasts and soon I'm sure we'll have some sort of celebration on that. But what I wanted to talk about today, it's me, Chris Howard, Marketing Director at Lace Partners. I've got a new partner in crime this week from Lace Partners. I've never had her on with me before and I've been badgering her for a while to come on with me for, for, to the podcast. But it's Emma Scriven from our team. Em, how are you doing? You all right? Good. Another Emma, just to confuse Another people. Emma, just to <laughs> chuck it in, just to chuck it into the mix. We've got plenty of Emmas and I'm going to try and get all of them onto our podcasts over the coming weeks and months. And Ems, uh, I've got the reason I've got Emma on today is because um, you're part of our DE&I forum and we wanted to have a chat with a couple of people that you are familiar with and I believe you've been on their podcast as well. So, Let's get them on and get them to introduce themselves. We've got uh, Cameron Malik. Um, Cameron, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. I'm great. Thank you. Hi, Emma. Good to see you again. And we've got Cami Lynch. Cami, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you all doing? It's good to be on the show today. Yeah, it's lovely to have you on. It's lovely to have you on. So just for the benefit of our listeners, um, and we'll start with you, Cami, and then we'll go to Cameron. If you could just give us a little bit of a background on yourself so that all the lovely people out there in listener land can uh, know all about what it is, who you are and what you do and uh, your passion as well. Sure. So uh, my name is Cami or Cameron. Um, I go by Cami because it's a little confusing with two of us. I, as you can probably tell, I'm American. I'm from Virginia. I'm a third-year college student or university student in Virginia. Um, I'm studying sociology and government, so I'm on a pre-law track. And my plan is to go into disability advocacy and policy. In the past, I've worked with Disability Rights UK um, as their policy intern to work on policy matters. I also run a nonprofit for disabled college students. Um, to have support. And yeah, I do a lot of disability advocacy work. I'm on the board of directors at the Law Center in the state of Virginia for disabled individuals. And other than that, I'm a dancer. I spend a lot of time in the library doing my homework. Oh, um, I'm a modern dancer. So I'm in the dance company at my university. So I spend a lot of time doing that at night. But not in a library. Not in the library, only sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and Cameron, could you just give us a back bit of your background then for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Cameron and I'm Chief Exec of Disability Rights UK, the organisation that Cammy just mentioned, where she was an intern with us. It was um, right through the pandemic. So Cammy and I have never actually met in person. We've just met like this online in Zoom calls and Teams calls. Um, so Disability Rights UK is a national organization led by and for disabled people and uh, kind of what we try and do is to bring about change both in kind of terms of what government does but also what how businesses um, operate and uh, to create a more inclusive and rights-based environment for disabled people. I don't dance. <laughs> I've tried but it's pretty bad so I don't dance but um, yeah so I'm into kind of all things classic. I like classic cars. I've got a collection of classic cars 
and um, kind of classic retro stuff as well. So that's my my thing. I've got vinyl records still. <laughs> so we have International Day of Disability coming up this week on the 3rd of December. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing on the Disability Employment Charter. So I suppose first question is, tell us a bit about it for people who haven't heard of it. How would you kind of summarise what it is, what it's there to do? Yeah, absolutely. Love to do that. So that's right. So the Disability Employment Charter came about really from some conversations that we had at Disability Rights UK with a number of other organisations. And we were all really just talking about the persistent employment gap, the, the gap between the numbers of disabled people in employment when you compare that to non-disabled people. And uh, so this is working age individuals. And that that gap is around kind of that 30% gap um, when you when you look at the when you look at the numbers. And it's been stubbornly like that for many years. And certainly I'd say for the last 20, 25 years when these numbers have been around, it's been kind of hovering around that figure. And things aren't changing. And I, we just think, and I just think that's just not acceptable. Um, there are disabled people out there who are immensely talented, who want the opportunity to work. And I think, um, you know, for too long, disabled people have just not had the same employment opportunities as the wider population. And so the employment charter was put together following some meetings that we had back last year in 20, um, 2020. And we were just kind of thinking, what can we do that will make a tangible difference to trying to tackle this this 30% gap? And so that's where the charter came from. And just, I'm just interesting, actually, on the types of organisations, actually, that have, that have started to take it up. So could you give us a bit of a flavour as to the types of businesses that have really, really embraced this? So I think, Chris, the first thing to say, the, the charter is specifically aimed at government. The idea is that if government take on board these nine aspects of the charter, we believe that it will have a dramatic difference on um, this employment gap that we we're talking about, this 30%. So that's the first thing to understand is actually specifically aimed at government. We want government to make these changes and to um, bring some of it through legislative change. Some of it is through guidance um, and how government does things. So that's the first thing. In terms of who is supporting it, and so what we're looking for is businesses who believe that these uh, elements of the charter are important and are, are the right things to be doing. We want them to sign up to, to the charter. So at the moment, there are about 50, 50 organizations who've um, currently signed up as signatories. There are some founding members who... Um, Who's, who, who are, of course, signatories as well. And the founding members are organisations like Disability Rights UK, that's us, Scope, the charity, which a lot of people will probably have heard of, Business Disability Forum, uh, Warwick Business School, uh, University of Warwick, Unison, Shaw Trust, Leonard Cheshire. They're the kind of some of the founding members. And then after that, we've got about 50 um, organisations that are also kind of members. Uh, who've, they've, they're not members, they've signed up to the charter to say we believe that um, we believe in the charter we think if these are brought in it will make a dramatic difference to disabled people's employment so for example we've got kent fire and rescue service are uh, part of it um, big charities like rnib sense are also part of it a company called microlink which is an IT uh, assistive technology company and many others. Amazing. So many kind of companies getting involved already. I think 
if we had somebody listening now who's a HR professional in an organization and they really want to support this charter, what's the best way of them doing that? So what I would encourage people to do is go to the website. There's a website for the charter, which is disabilityemploymentcharter.org. Um, so go to that site. You can see all of the different organizations that are signatories. You can see all about the founding uh, organizations. You can read the charter and then you can sign up online. You can just add your organization's name to the charter and, it, and, and we will then contact you to request your logo for it to then be added to the site. Okay, cool. So what I want to do now is actually delve into some of the specifics on the charter, if that's right. And Cami, please feel free to jump in. But I thought we'd we'd just go through some of the different parts of it because I thought there were some really interesting approaches. And just to get your take on it, the first part of the the charter is about employment and pay gap reporting. And I guess the question that really came to my head when I was reading this: um, how difficult and uncomfortable it is for businesses actually reporting on their pay gap and is it difficult for companies putting together those processes i don't know who wants to answer that whether you want to go for cameron or do you want to get cammy one of the cams <laughs> i can go for it go so for it. i know that already there's reporting for gender pay gap and gender statistics within um, companies and organizations so it won't be too difficult if the structures are already in place um, the difficulty comes in in terms of mandatory or it's voluntary reporting of disability statistics and disability status. So um, the problem comes in with that, but also that like we don't believe that would be too difficult for um, organizations to come across. I think that in order to make the change, change is uncomfortable. Um, we know that. We know that. Um, we do know that change is necessary. So in order to report and this mandatory reporting and um, pay gap reporting is part of the process of creating equality and equity within the employment sphere. So by requiring reporting, it is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. So we think that it is not that difficult because the system's already been in place and it's starting to be in place for um, race and ethnicity as well as gender. So disability is another statistic to add on to it. So just adding to what Cammy just said is I think it's also about, uh, so I think part of the question is, is people often don't report, people don't disclose that they are mm -hmm. a disabled person. I, I always think, well, why is that? And I think there are, we as just individuals make a value judgment on that to say by disclosing, is there a value in me doing that? Or is there a risk to doing that? And I think it's incumbent upon businesses to make sure that the culture and the environment that you create shows disabled people that actually by disclosing, it's a good thing. It's because we want to support and make adjustments and kind of make remove the barriers that stop you being the very best that you can be within our business. And so it's kind of that's the value judgment. And that's the culture that you're trying to tackle. Yeah, that kind of transparency and being open and honest. And that's something that certainly I feel like in the last 18 months or so, particularly during the pan pandemic, we've heard a lot about that openness, transparency, and you've had the stuff around the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. But actually, I wonder if one of the challenges, one of the things that Emma and I have obviously talked about as well is, is disability, is it, are people with disabilities almost... Um, and Emma sent me an interesting article today, actually, where I read, are they almost 
sort of overlooked sometimes because of people are looking at these other areas such as you know ethnicity and, and things like that. One of the questions I actually had linked to that, which I just thought I'd jump in just before I get Ems to ask another question on another part of the charter is, have you seen the appetite or the approach change in the last 18 months? Have we seen more businesses that have suddenly started to say, actually, do you know what? We, we recognise that perhaps we haven't been as good at this from a their gender pay gap reporting, but also on the disability side. And are, are they making change? Are you seeing enough change at the moment? So I think, I think yes. So there is, there is, seems to be a change. Um, I think because we are talking more about the inequality. Um, and I think some of that stems from the whole Black Lives Matter movement and the whole conversation about the inequality, the injustice uh, that's happening uh, for uh, black people, people of color and so on. But, and I think there is, there is, it feels like there is a bit of a shift. There are lots of other things happening around the disability sphere. So we've got the value 500, the valuable 500, which is a 500 top companies, all committing to having disability on the agenda. I think that's really important. When you've got multinational companies uh, that are doing that, that's really important. You've got the We Are 15 campaign that was launched as well. Um, so these are high profile things that are um, kind of entering the sphere of non-disabled people's world and kind of their their attention. The other thing I've noticed, certainly in the UK, and I don't know what it's like in the US, Cami, but in the UK, I've started to see more disabled people on in adverts, not, not about disability products, just general products, um, whether it's high-speed broadband or a mobile phone company. You're starting to see disabled people just part of the, the imagery and the part of the situation. And, you know, when I see that, I often sit there and think, you know, what was all the big fuss? We had this whole thing about, oh, we can't show disabled people because it'll frighten the, the viewing public. It's just nonsense. Um, it's kind of other people's perception of what might worry us, but actually the reality is very different. So I think there is a there is a there is a shift, yeah, from my perspective. I also think that we're seeing a increasing pro proportion of um disabled people accepting the term of disabled. Um and I don't know if that's to do with COVID or to do with lockdown or anything. At least that's what I've noticed within like my generation. And a lot of younger disabled people are coming to the term disabled. Um, and so I think it might increase the willingness to disclose disability status um, when applying for jobs or when accepting jobs. Um, I haven't seen an increase in disabled people in the media in the U.S., which is sad, but I do follow a lot of British media just because I lived there and I want to go back. Um, so I follow a lot of British media and I have seen that um, more there. Um, but I do think that with COVID too, we're talking about disability, talking about illness more within public sectors and within classrooms. And um, we're seeing accessibility needs increase overall. So I think that it's becoming a bigger conversation overall, at least what I've noticed. I think that's really interesting, the points you've just made around kind of the conversation around disability is is really kind of gaining traction. Like you've said, there's disabled people in the media. A lot more people are kind of more open to saying they're disabled, yet we've got this 30% employment gap still for disabled people. So it, there's quite a contrast between the two there. But I suppose from your perspectives, how do you think employers can support more disabled people into the workplace? What do you think they could be doing to kind of bridge that gap proactively? I, I think part of, part of it is around 
creating the right environment in your business. So this idea of normalizing uh, disability in your workplace and so normalizing the conversation about disability at the moment, what tends to happen is it's down to the individual disabled person to raise the issue with their manager to say, I need a reasonable adjustment because I've got a health condition or I'm a disabled person. But actually that ends up being quite a difficult point when you're needing to ask for help is when you're also having to disclose something and you're not sure about how how someone's going to react. If we also think about how mental health was talked about five years ago and how it's talked about today, it's so significantly different. It's kind of become normalized that we understand that mental health is not something to be worried about or scared about. It's something that we can manage and support people through and it's the right thing to do and it's good for our businesses. So I always think let's normalize the conversation about disability. Let's talk about workplace adjustments for everybody, not just disabled people. And, and kind of if you start to shift that conversation, that's that's the first thing I would say. And in order to help you to do that, you need to find some champions in your business. So people who have disclosed, who are willing to talk about their experience in your workplace to say, this is how the business has supported me and it's enabled me to be the very best that I can be for the business. So that's the other part. And the, the other thing is around how your business is reflecting the society that you're operating in. If you think about, you know, whether it's uh, your customers or people who buy products from you, there will be disabled people within that space. And to reflect that community is important. Um, so I think that they're, they're just some of the things. Yeah, I was just just reflecting on what you were, you're talking about there and having those champions in the business. How important is it to have the type of culture that will embrace that, that these people can feel like they can actually put their hands up and say, do you know what? I'll be, I will be that champion. I think that's quite important, isn't it? I think it's essential. Yeah, you need people to kind of step up and say, yeah. And And if you can get more senior people to do that, it kind of really speaks volume that this is being discussed at the the kind of senior levels within a business. It's it's I think it's important that that you have those people who are willing to speak and talk about their experiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Culture culture is led from the top, isn't it? And it mm. it trickles down. So it's if you've got those those leaders that are willing to embrace it, then then it's really really important. I just wanted to just move us on slightly and just talk about another um, part of the actual the disability charter and just get you to to reflect on it a little bit. Um, and it was the the reform of the access to work. So the actual um, in the charter it talks about government should remove uh, the ATW support cap ensure applicable application renewal processes are efficient, personalised and flexible. Um, I won't go through the whole description of it because obviously people can read it on the website, but can you just talk to our viewers about that from the viewers, listeners, sorry, from uh, from your perspective and what that means and, and what, what, what that means in practicality for, for businesses and, uh, and what, uh, on what the government should be doing? Yeah, sure. So the Access to Work scheme, government scheme, that's designed to support disabled people at the point of when they have an interview and onwards. Uh, so when you enter the place of work and it's designed to try and help remove barriers through, it could be through equipment, it can be through human support, it can be through lots of other methods. Um, however, part, th th there are significant issues with the Access to Work scheme. It's a brilliant scheme that not enough people know about. So businesses don't know about it and disabled people themselves often don't know about it. But also on top of that, there is a, what's called a spending cap. It's the amount of money that can be allocated to support you in, in your workplace. And the cap, what the cap's done 
is it's impacted on the the very small number percentage of people who have very high support needs and so what it's meant is for those individuals they've had to make some significant compromises in the type of work they can do or the number of days they can work so if you imagine someone who's deaf who needs a bsl interpreter with them all the time well well that's going to go through the cap very easily so it might mean they can only have a bsl interpreter uh, for three days of the of the week so that really limits the choice for that individual about the kind of work that they can do so that's one of the things that we think uh is, is a clear reason why the support cap uh, should be removed um the the other thing is around where currently when you move jobs you will have to reapply to access to work and then they reassess you and then you have to have that whole conversation about the level of support you need but actually why not have this idea of a kind of an award that you have and you carry it with you it kind of goes with you from employer to employer um, so it's things like that really that is to improve the scheme yeah it's almost just um, this hearing you just talking about that there it's almost literally as if the perspective is just well let's just group one selection of people into this bucket and then just apply some sort of mandatory figure on it when again so many disabilities vary in so many different levels don't they so yeah it, it's almost a bit like it sounds a very very sort of arbitrary approach to what is a very complex situation for people mm. yeah no absolutely absolutely and you know government have got their own data on how much is spent on access to work the last figure set of figures i saw you know for every pound that's spent on access to work payments back in tax payments are kind of more than pay for that so the scheme actually does overall pay for itself so it doesn't really cost in a, in that sense i think similar to that there's a point around kind of reasonable adjustments workplace adjustments and we've talked on about it already i suppose how can businesses be a bit more creative when they're thinking about workplace adjustments? So rather than the traditional kind of don't work full-time work three days, how can businesses think a bit more outside of the box and really kind of enable the disabled talent in their business, whether it's access to work or whether it's something they do as a company? How can we kind of leverage companies to just think a bit differently about mm. how they can support their employees? Well, I think something that something good that's come out of COVID that the disability rights community has talked about for a really long time is the access to online work. So like something like Teams where we're all sitting together and having this meeting um, provides a lot more flexibility and moving to a hybrid setting is a lot more flexible for disabled people. So I think that's a creative way to do um, reasonable adjustments, but also like the ability to have captions on meetings is also super helpful. And um, the availability of a lot of different online platforms, I think, has been super helpful, at least in like the work that I've done and working with um, DPOs and like making sure that we have reasonable adjustments for everyone on the meetings. It's been a lot easier in that way. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything, Ken. Yeah, sure. So, no, they're, um, they're all great things. And then just looking at that flexibility angle is it's kind of at the point of when an organization's advertising a job is to be really clear that you're open to not so we often say things like job share you know this position is open to job sharing fine but actually to go a step beyond that to say this job is open to kind of flexible working that um you know some some if you imagine there are people with what's called um energy limiting conditions so what that means is they can't do the 36 hours it's just not possible 
but they could do you know a 15 hour week for you and actually building that flexibility in to say um, rather than going for a job and then being successful and then saying to the employer the job you've offered me I'd like to renegotiate because that's quite an awkward place to be but actually doing it from the outset to say this job is actually available as um, a flexible approach to it and we'll pick that up at the interview stage or even before that so people can be really open and transparent about it and and there's kind of there's a whole process of what you can do from uh, the point of when you advertise a job how the person spec and job spec is written through to the advert through to rec that recruitment process um, and I, I guess the thing we haven't talked about is something called the social model of disability and just understanding the social model of disability can help you to think about what are the barriers that I am putting in the place of people applying and coming into my business and being um, great in my business. And the social model very simply says, is that Cameron, that's me, I'm a wheelchair user, but actually the things that stop me and disable me are the way people look at me and think about me, um, the built environment, the buildings, um, the process of applying for a job, the things that I'm having to do, they're the things that actually disable me rather than the fact that I'm unable to walk and I'm a wheelchair user. That's a health condition. I'm unable to walk. That's my impairment. But what disables me is the world around me. And if HR professionals can understand the social model and really think about how do I remove all these barriers? Because if we can get rid of the barriers, people are not disabled in that sense. Yeah. And linked into that is... Uh, and it's actually on your charter, you talk about this. This I, I quite like the idea of the government creating a one-stop shop portal because you've got like the way in which um, HR professionals can see disabled people and support them and, and give them what they need. But actually those businesses themselves could do with some support and guidance themselves. And so I quite like the uh, the idea that you talk about in the in the charter about a portal. So can you just expand on that a little bit for our listeners as to what you what you think that looks like, how 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 you think that would work? And I guess what would a, a talent attraction team do to be able to to attract disabled talent, for example, by using this portal? Yeah, so it's it's just taking on board all the learning that's happened over many years of these this sort of work to try and bring all of that information into one place that all businesses know they can go and find out about all these things. So, for, you know, I mentioned in this, you know, we've talked earlier on in the podcast about um, access to work. And as I said, a lot of business, it's amazing how many businesses don't know about it. It's amazing how many disabled people don't know about it. Wouldn't it be great if every... HR team or um, a, you know a small business knew that if I go to this one website I can find out about terminology about the social model of disability I can find out about what other advice and support is available and from whom and I can find out about how access to work will support and enable me to employ the best talent that I can um, and to diversify my workforce so having all of that information in one place and, and because at the moment I think businesses kind of get lost a bit. They're not sure where to go and find the information. Not every business has a HR department. And so often you've got managers and people and business owners trying to do everything. Um, and, and and as a result, what tends to happen is you do none of it. Because you think, well, I can't, it's too difficult. Um, there's too many risks. So I just won't kind of tackle that. Um, is to try and address that problem. Yeah, that's really interesting. So as we come to the end of the podcast, 
we had one last question for you. It's a bit of a tough one. We've kind of thrown it in there. Um, so we wanted to say for our listeners right now, what is one thing they could take away from this podcast today to improve the processes in their business and make their workplace more inclusive for disabled people? So maybe we go to Cami first. Sure. That's a hard question, but I'm going to answer it not with my like disability policy hat on, but as a young disabled person applying for jobs. So I think I just would like to see more representation of myself when applying to jobs. Um, I think it's hard to feel accepted within a community if you don't see yourself in that community. So it's time to comply, like it's time to forward and it's time for us to accept disabled people within the workplace um, because the the employment gap is still 30%. That's very high. And so I think it's good to have those senior execs um, saying like, we accept disabled people within our workplace. This is our actionable steps that we're taking to do that. Um, I also think this goes back to kind of the portal and back to what people can do in the hiring process is disabled young people aren't expected to have jobs. We're not really trained to go from education where we're like the education system is structured to kind of support us, but not in a way to have like high skilled professional jobs afterwards. Um, We're not really expected to be in places, university systems, university structures that will then provide the education that you need for a high skilled job or even like any job at all. So I think having that education system put in place of like, this is how you make a resume. This is how you make a cover letter. This is what you should do to apply for an apprenticeship. That is all really important. And it's something that we're, we're working on within the disabled community and like disability rights community, but something that should be accepted overall um, within bigger education systems. So I think the portal will also have resources for disabled employees to have access to what rights do you have as a disabled worker? How do you apply for access to work? How do you do all of this? Um, Which is also really important to be successful. So I think that's something that can be improved is just the acceptance that disabled people do want jobs and would like to work and we're talented and pretty cool and like we can add to your business. Cammy, that's about seven things. So I would <laughs> So what would I say? So I think just adding to those things, what I would just say to HR professional, the first thing I would say is walk towards diversity. Don't walk away from it. Um, as as difficult and as challenging, as worrying, as fearful as it might be, walk towards it because that's how you learn. You learn by kind of just challenging yourself and going outside of the kind of comfort zone that we, we like to live in. And in order to do that, I would just say two things. One is find out about the social model of disability. And second one is find out who the disabled staff are in your organization, those who've talked about it and disclosed it and engage with them because ask them, ask them to tell you what you need to do to make this a great and fantastic place to work. And how do we attract more people? And because their lived experience is what is is kind of the golden information that you hold in your business that you could leverage. 
and then sh- and then being able to share that and as you said earlier the champions thing which i think was was really really good and you know we're not a massive business at lace partners but we get people like emma um, to share their experiences and actually for us as a business we've learned so much even in the last year uh, by by being you know open to listening and then being able to act on that as well but um thank you very much um Cam and Cammy both for coming on today. It's been absolutely amazing listening to you, hearing about your about your experiences and also finding out about the charter as well. We will put a link to the charter and to the uh, page where you can just find out more information in the show notes. You can, of course, find this podcast on everywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, we are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You can also go to our website, which is lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Uh, that's it for us for today uh, i would just like to say thank you very much once again to my partner in crime emma for joining us emma scriven sorry because we've got multiple emmas of course on our podcast thank you so for having please. me oh, i'm dragging you on again for more of these don't you worry about that and cam and cammy thank you very much for being our guest today thank you it's been wonderful and we will see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye-bye mm-hmm.